or I'm trusting God for the fruit of the womb and you keep throwing shades around me and, you know, oh, we've been married X number of years. Don't even ask me any questions. If you're praying for me, pray for me in your closet, in the privacy of your home. Yeah. Don't come and be touching my stomach. Yeah. You don't know whether the day you're touching my stomach was the day I had a miscarriage. Right. People need right. to stop. They yeah. need to stop. That's true. People deal with so much. This is an issue that touches me to the core. Yeah. There's so many hurting women out there. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African Podcast with your host, Anya. So today I have with me two special people. I have Victor and Karen Joe, all the way from Oklahoma. And I really don't want to, you know, talk too much about these people because you would get to know them from their story. But I just want to read brief introduction about them. So Victor is a third child. That's the first of set of twins from a family of eight born in Kumba, Cameroon, to Mr. Christopher Njo and Mrs. Ruth Njo Ne Tabot, both of blessed memory. He relocated to the U.S. in 1996, where he attended SWOSU, which is a Southwest Oklahoma State University in Weatherford, and graduated in 2003 with a doctorate in pharmacy. Karen is the fifth of six children, born in Boya to Mr. John, to Mr. John Day and Hilda Day Ne Asanji, she relocated to the U.S. in 2000, where she started college at Swosu as well. And she graduated in 2010 with a doctorate in pharmacy. Victor and Karin met at Swosu, obviously. And at the time, Victor was president of the Southwestern International Students Association. And so was instrumental in helping Karin navigate the school system. Their relationship kicked off a couple of years later and they got married in 2008 and that's where their story begins. So I want to welcome you, Victor and Karine, to our platform. It's truly my honor to have both of you here. How are you doing today? We're doing great and it's a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. Thank you so much. I really look forward to this conversation and what actually basically started or sparked this conversation was the book that you wrote, Karin, which is Jehovah Has Healed. And, you know, I have read that book a couple of times and I really had it on my spirit to have this conversation with you both to really give insight and perspective to your own experience 
to our community. So I really look forward to that. Now, you have been married for, I would say, over 14 years. And so I really wanted to throw it a little bit back, you know, and basically at the start of your story, right, when you guys met each other, what were, like, what did you both see or predict or wish your life to be when you got married and, you know, what were basically your hopes and your dreams? You know, everybody has this life planned ahead of them, right? Funny mm-hmm. enough. <laughs> so what was that? I'll start with you, Karen. For me, I'd say it was just to, yeah, you know, we got married, kids, you yeah. know, to have two or three kids, raise them, just see them running around. And yeah, that was my dream and leave happily ever after. Right. <laughs> what about you, Victor? Well, pretty much the same, but I just wanted to be wherever she was, pretty much. I told her when I met her that if I'm not fortunate enough to get married to you, I want to live on the same street or in the same neighborhood. <laughs> <as you."> right? <laughs> Wow, that's that's actually very romantic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, that's so cute. That's nice. So now, you know, you get married and, you know, of course you start, you know, trying to have kids. And so in this phase in your life, I feel like this, and also based on the book, that's where the first challenge happened, right? The first challenge in your mm-hmm. life. Now, I want us to give, thankfully, both of you are healthcare professionals. So I want us to really explain clinically, you know, what you both went through with the pregnancy. And I know that you had sort of a complicated first pregnancy. That was the second trimester. That's when you discovered that. Well, from the start, you know, you had low progesterone levels. So what exactly, based on, you know, what you were advised, I'm not trying to get like clinical advice because we're not OBGYNs, you know, so this is strictly based on experience and maybe research, but these are based on, they're they're not like factual in hundred percent factual. So from the experience that both of you had, what exactly could be the cause or what could be the risk factors for that in pregnancy and what could be the the outcome of that? I talk specifically about as far as costs, I'm, I'm not sure, but more, I'm going to speak more on the risk associated with that. And this is, we're talking about the first pregnancy, correct? Yeah. So my progesterone levels were low. And so they had to augment that because it's supposed to help prevent early miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I needed extra progesterone. Yeah. Yeah, okay. pretty much. That's Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so from the scare that you had with that, you know, according to the book, there were a series of events, you know, that happened. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that, you know, just the pain that you were feeling and every other thing that added to it. How did both of you manage to, you know, sustain basically the whole experience to when you had Jesse? Like I had a high risk pregnancy and, you know, I had like light bleeding as well at the start. 
and I had severe pain. My whole pregnancy was painful, but mine was just the pelvic pain because I was really big. My belly was very big and I was very tiny. So like the weight and everything on my pelvis was really, really bad. But every day was literally like I was just being so cautious. I was so anxious. I actually had panic attacks. You know, it was so hard for me to to just the whole experience was just traumatizing to me, not necessarily only painful, but, you know, just mentally. So how did both of you like sustain that whole pregnancy, you know, with every other thing that was going on? I would say I think we just took one day at a time. Like, you know, this was the first. And so I wouldn't say my faith. Of course, we both trust in God, believe in God. But at that point, my faith was not where it was at right now. Yeah. So I hoped for the best. Leave one day at a time. Was it scary? Very scary. Especially with those major episodes that I was having. And, you know, you just never know. Is the baby in there or is the baby not there? You know? Yeah. So it was very, very scary. And I mean, there were days that I'll just cry, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. I didn't know what more to do. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Victor? Like, how was the, the whole experience, especially as a first time father? How was it for you? She hid it from me. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, yeah, pretty much um, uh, most of the time, I mean, I was there with her. We went for almost every appointment that she had, but underlying issues or the most serious issues that she was dealing with, I knew very little about. So, and I don't know if she was protecting me in that regard or if she just didn't know exactly how I would react. Some of the things uh, I only realized at the end that this is exactly what she was going through. Yeah, I would imagine. And I would also imagine, you know, after having Jesse, you know, who was premature, I would imagine how very fragile it was, you know, for him and just for everyone involved in his life. And, you know, I'm just thankful to God that he pushed through and made it through and you guys were right there by his side. So, you know, we thank God for his life and everything. And so now I want to, you know, digress a little bit and talk about Remy, who's your mom, right? And this is directed to you, Victor. I believe I met her once, I believe. I, I, I don't remember, but, you know, I really want to honor her life and her memory for a moment. So can you just give us a picture of who she was? My mom was a very caring and loving person, kind-hearted. Yeah. The doors were open to one and all. And she treated everybody that she came across, especially the kids. She treated every single one of them as her own. Yeah. Um, if you came into a household, you could never tell which ones were her biological kids and yeah. which ones were just either nephews or nieces or just some random kid that she decided to take from from somewhere and to to help raise. So that was who my mom was. Mm-hmm. And having her when we had Jesse, because she was here when we had Jesse. Yeah. Was was really helpful because at the time Corinne was in school and I was mm-hmm. at work. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when Jesse finally came home, we really needed somebody to be at home with him. And that was the role that she played. So and she 
she loves Jesse as much as she would any other kid and even as much as her own. Because uh, I remember how many times she had requested that she, we should allow her to take Jesse to Cameroon. To Cameroon. And we, <laughs> Sounds like we, a grandma we, right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we would not let that happen. It just so happens that the ways of God are not the ways of man. Yeah. And so my, my mom really didn't get a chance to watch Jesse grow because she was frightened the very first time she saw Jesse. None of us, none of us in our family had ever seen a premature kid. Yeah. So when she saw Jesse for the very first time, he was tiny. Yeah. He had all the tubes and wires around him. Really sometimes when you went and saw him in the incubator, you had to really look close to see the child amongst all of those oh wires and tubes and everything. Yeah. You know, so when my mom saw him for the first time, she was frightened. She really didn't know what to expect. She really didn't think that he was going to make it. And so I would have really wished for my mom to be around to see the Jesse today that yeah. was that little kid in the incubator. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, I always remember her as, you know, very calm. I felt like you took after her. (laughs) And you actually look like her as well. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing that. And as a new parent, I can definitely appreciate how much having help is very valuable. I I can't get enough help. (laughs) That's all I can say, you know, and my child was not premature. So I can only imagine how resourceful and helpful she was for you guys, especially with Jesse and two pharmacists with the crazy schedules and just everything, you know, it's just mind blowing. But at the same time, it must be really heartbreaking for someone like her who is always willing to help people not being able to help as she wanted to help because of, you know, her own health that was deteriorating, you know? And then it's like, she was literally trying to help you guys, but then person who was supposed to be helping you guys cannot help herself. And then the person you guys had to rely on help from is now dependent on you for help, you know? So I can not imagine what you guys were going through at that time. In addition to the fact that Karina at that time was expecting baby Nasia, who, you know, I mean, the pregnancy was just unbelievably, you know, tough on her and everything that was happening around, you know. And when I read the book, you know, every time I asked myself, like, you know, why would God let something like that happen? You know, I mean, and Karina, I know I've had this conversation with you before and, you know, I'm Christian, right? And... I believe I'm spiritual. I feel, I think everybody is spiritual. You know, now it depends on what they believe in, right? Even atheists are spiritual. I think so. But there's just certain things that, you know, about my own beliefs, my own religion or my own spirituality or my belief in God that sometimes I question. And I feel like every human being questions at some time, you know, and there was, there was a part of your book, if you mind me reading just a statement. And, you know, I really want to get more insight from you guys, you know, because I, I just still don't understand, you know, why, why certain things happen. Like as a parent, you know, if Jesse's hurting, you're not going to let him hurt even more. You know what I mean? And if God is our father, you know, why? Why? You, you know what I mean? 
So, I mean, yeah. you said we often ask a lot of questions as to why certain things happen and where God was at the time. You know, God was there. He pulled me out of that valley of the shadow of death, you know. And this is way early on into the book. You know, you were already talking about God pulling you out of the valley of the shadow of death when you hadn't even like hit rock bottom yet, you know. So I, I just wanted to understand, you know, like... How do we find, we may never find answers, right? But how do we find answers that console ourselves in that moment that we feel like, where's God in all of this? And why would he let all of this happen? You were, you know, taking care of your mother. I would just say mother because she was a mother to both of you who was sick. And then you had a tough pregnancy and then your mom died. And then, you know, you literally were about to lose your baby girl a couple of months later, like in a space of one to two years, you're bearing two people that were really close to you with every other thing that was happening. So how will you, like, what was, how, how will you even speak to that with God, you know, to find answers that were going to console you at that time? You know, in that moment, there's different things that draw us closer to God. And it was in my quest for answers that I honestly went, I drew closer to him, you know. And the more I drew closer to him, the most important thing when you're going through situations is when you lose your peace of mind, a lot is messed up. And so I was searching, even though I was searching for answers, in the midst of searching for those answers, I was able to find peace. And I know it sounds funny that, okay, here I am, I'm finding peace, yeah, in God. Sometimes people, you know, okay, like you said, he's a father. How can a father do this to his children? And I think I reiterated that in the book, that, you know, when man fell, sin came into the world, bad things happen. Bad things happen to good people as well. And the Bible says the enemy came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And I believe that. Yeah. There are things that happen and he allows them to happen. That verse in the Bible that says everything works together for the good of them that love the Lord. That is where things like this come in play. Because you see a situation where there are people who've gone through the same thing that I've gone through, if not worse. We may or may not know them. And here I am standing today. Some of them probably went crazy, are in whatever home, you know, mental yeah. facilities and stuff like that, you know. And for me, I had to hang on to God. And he turned everything around for my good. To me, it has become more like a ministry. I see people, it's almost like the burdens of people who go through stuff like this. It's like I can feel it in every core of my being, you know. There are times I go to the place of prayer, it's not even for me, you know. But for people going through certain situations, and I will not have been in that position had it not been my experiences. Right. I don't know if, but again... That question, there's some things that I, I, no matter how many times I ask, 
I even stopped asking. You will not get answers to everything. I believe there's a heaven and there's a hell. Yeah. And there's something that I will only know when I cross over. Right. Maybe the glory is going to be so bright that I won't even be able to ask anything. So that's just life. And we got to buckle up and get the right ammunition in order to go through life. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Victor, do you have anything to add? You remember. (laughs) (laughs) You remember. You remember. Yes. Pretty much your experiences in life set you up for for what you're going to go through in life. And when I say you remember, there's there's a portion in the Bible that says, bring up your children in the way of the Lord so that when they grow older, they will not forget. Mm-hmm. So as much as when you're looking at from Jesse to Nanasia and asking the question that how do you say God pulled you from that valley when you were not even hit rock bottom yet? As Christians, we're brought up to know that God is a father who is loving, he's caring, he always takes care of us. And so that is something that I believe we were taught as we were growing up. Mm-hmm. And so it was at the is it's at the back of your mind that, for example, if you take the prodigal son in the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, when he went out and wasted all the fortunes and all the stuff that his father had given him, and he fell and hit rock bottom, he remembered that he has a father who is loving and caring and who would take him back probably just as a servant, yeah. not even as a son, but would take him back as a servant. And would treat him in a manner that is better than where he currently is. And so when you find yourself as a Christian, like you rightly said, almost everybody has something that they believe in. Mm -hmm. And so when you find yourself as a Christian in a position where it's not normal or usual for you, and it's difficult for you to be dealing with, you always remember that your father in heaven cares much about you. And when you turn to him and put your problems to him, he would always find a way to lift you up. You know, I remember perfectly after Nasia and the pastor at church, he, we were all at church and we we're sitting in the balcony and he, he asked us to stand and he said something to the effect of that, look at these people who are going through a lot because Nasia passed about seven months after my mom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and he said, but here they are in church. You know, he said something to that effect. And the reason we were there was simply because we knew that that was the only place where we could find peace. That was the only place where we had hope. That was the only place where we knew that we could be comforted. And that yeah. is from remembering who God is. Yeah. That's very powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, Just having that ability to remember and go back to the root of, you know, who you are in Christ is very important. You know, even though at that time, it's like, (laughs) yeah, it's it's yeah. So thank you very much for sharing that. Now, taking it a few steps back, like, okay, Remy died and Victor, you went to bury her in Cameroon and Karin has another emergency to have baby Nasia. So when you came back and you realized that, you know, you guys may have been celebrating something, the wrong thing in Cameroon, you know, I just want to understand, like, how did you really feel when you came back to that news that 
even though baby Nasia was born, she wasn't, it was Abgas core, right? I think that's what you, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. So she wasn't like hundred percent healthy. You know, she had a very low Abgas core and Karin, if you can explain the Abgas score, or Victor, you can also explain that as well, how she was born. When you discovered that, like, how did you really feel? Me or her? You. <laughs> uh, um, well, when, when the news came that Nasia was born, that was three days after we buried my mom. Yeah. You know, so... We were in the village at the time. Uh, me and my siblings, we had all traveled from Europe. We were all in Cameroon. And, you know, African tradition, they would do a burial, and then they'll come one yeah. year later or so to do a cry die. Yeah. So, but my uncle said, since most of us were abroad, they decided that we should just do the burial and the cry die at once to mm-hmm. prevent us from coming back a year later for that ceremony. Mm-hmm. So three days after we had buried my mom was the day that we were supposed to do the cry die. And early that Monday morning, they were preparing to do the cry die. And I got a phone call and said, Karina had had the baby. And it was instant jubilation because wow. at the time... We didn't know. It was a baby girl, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was instant jubilation right there, and then they named her after my mom. Yeah. Yeah, they named her after my mom. You know, so, but then as the day went on, I started getting more details. You know, I spoke to her cousin who was here, and her cousin said, well, you pretty much have about a week to 10 days left in Cameroon. Why don't you just stay in Cameroon, and then you come back when you're ready to come back mm-hmm. pretty much was trying to say there's really not much that you're going to change if you come back but going back Nasir was born in the same hospital as Jesse mm-hmm. and because Jesse had been in the hospital for over seven weeks we had developed a rapport with some of the nurses and there was one in particular that we had a very good relationship with yeah so I called her and I called her and I just said Give it to me without any sugar coating. What is going on? She said, I need you here yesterday. Hmm. Yes. She told me, she said, I need you here yesterday. When I got off the phone with her, uh, then uh, at that time, they were still, we were still buying tickets through travel agents. So I yeah. called the travel agent and I said, I need to be back in the United States. And so when I got back here, I saw Kareem. I saw Nasia, and the honest truth is that I was numb. Because like you said, African men tend not to cry at funerals. Yeah. In Cameroon, you know, one of my aunties had told me, she said, go to Cameroon and bury your mom. When you come back, you can find time to cry. Hmm. So I did that, you know. And so when I came back, I saw the baby, and then I saw Kareem, I had no feeling, none. And it was that way until Eliana was born. Wow. Did you have any conversations with God? (laughs) No, but he revealed himself to me because questions that I had were answered after Eliana was born. Yeah, right. Yes, because when I came back and the story was narrated to me exactly what happened, Mm -hmm. I blamed myself. 
I said, if I was here and not in Cameroon, then I don't think this would have happened. Yeah. Yes. I carried that bling with me until Eliana was born because when she was born, I was here. Yeah. When she was born in under exactly the <laughs> same, same circumstances with me being here. Right. So it was after she was born, then God revealed to me that there are certain things that you cannot control. Yeah. As a human being, you're limited. There are certain things that you cannot control. And he told me or he revealed to me that those things that you cannot control, leave them up to me and I'll take care of it. Yeah. Surrender, right? Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. So just to give the audience perspective and, you know, if anybody really wants to know the details of everything, it's, I mean, Karine could not have been more detailed in this book, you know, so I'm just trying to touch a few parts of the story, but the story is pretty intense and very, very detailed. So if you really want to know exactly what went on, you know, you can grab a copy. I will have the link in the show notes portion of this episode and you can grab the book on Amazon or in different locations in Africa. So just to give the audience perspective, Karin, can you please explain Nasia's condition when she was born with regards to her APGA score and everything? Okay, the APGA score is a term that's used in the medical field when a child is born and the reading is between one to 10 and they would take the child, the baby at one minute and I think five minutes. And so usually a score that's seven, seven, eight, nine means the baby's healthy. Mm-hmm. However, Nasia's score, I believe it was a two. Two, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I remember, yeah. So which meant, you know, and it's checking heart rate, did the baby cry and all those different mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she was basically for let's just say for if a layman wanted to picture her right can we mm-hmm. say she was i'm trying to find the the, the word i know healthcare is a and o times three right but that's mm-hmm. alert and oriented mm-hmm. so was she brain dead is that I fair think that's an appropriate way to put it i would say yeah because yeah lack of oxygen would do that yeah so yeah Pretty much. I think that's, yeah, in, in some, I think that's just, yeah, for for anyone to just understand what it was. Yeah. That, that's good. I would say that, yes. Okay. And she was brain yeah. dead and she was like that for about seven months, right? Yeah. Yeah, about seven to eight months. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for clarifying mm-hmm. that. Now, you know, in your book, when you wrote about depression and, you know, just mm-hmm. how you were dealing with everything. I mean, I know you wrote a lot about like, how you were dealing with things and we're yet to hear about Victor's, but kind of reminded me of, you know, my parents Mm -hmm. when like I've had a previous episode before and, you know, I have a brother who he was born normal and, you know, I believe he had a, a seizure like two weeks later and, you know, that's where everything went down the drain and he became paraplegic and, you know, he's never been able to walk and he's basically special needs. And well, the audience can go to episode to listen to that. I, I forgot what episode that is. But, you know, I had a conversation with my parents and, you know, back then in the 90s and in Africa as well, 
you know, it, it was pretty brutal in every aspect because it was a new thing. You know, not many people, I mean, people have headaches, malaria and everything. Not many people have mm-hmm. seizures, even if they did, but it wasn't even something that people really understood. And then everyone wanted to have an input as to, you know, what could possibly be happening to him. And of course, the kids like us, we were very young back then and we had questions. We could not understand why my brother could not play with us, why he's he cannot walk, why he's not talking back to us when we're talking. And my parents themselves, they actually, it, it, it impacted them individually and also their marriage, you know, and you know, talking about depression, my mom was out of it. Like she was just going crazy, you know? And, and, and so, but then that, that was like a first experience that they both had. Right. And that was my brother. That was my brother's the last. Now you guys had been through so much already, you know, and then, you know, you had Nasia and then you had to, to bury her because she passed in such a short time you guys had so much that happened to you. How did you handle that? First of all, how did that impact you, especially as a couple? I know, Karin, you had explained in detail what you went through. And Victor, you were basically numb, even though I I think there's more to that. (laughs) I honestly feel like there's more to that. So please feel free to, you know, add more insight. But how did you even, as I'm thinking as two retail, retail pharmacists as well in America with, I would say you guys probably did not even have like consistent help, how we will have that in Africa back home, you know, how did you guys just get everything together, you know, individually, professionally, and even as a couple, You know, because I know so many people who have divorced because of things like this. So how did that, you know, how did you get everything together? I'm just leaving the floor open. Anybody who (laughs) who's touched to speak. Yeah, let me speak. Because like you said, as a pharmacist, you know how it is in retail. Yeah. And, you know, even if they give you all for... I mean, I guess I, I, I was at that point where I wasn't going to, and this is not saying anybody who does this, it's wrong or anything. If you need to take, what's that long-term assistance? Is it family? FMLA you know, or FMLA a sabbatical or yeah, or something. Yeah. You can always, you know, take some time off. But for me, I was in that, at that point where it's like, I needed a busy schedule. Maybe it was my way of escape, mm-hmm. you know? Because if I sat at home and, and like you think our African community, we think depression is a made up word. It's yeah. not. Depression is so real, you know, and I always say it's, it's a game of it's, it's the mind, you know. And when we entertain those thoughts and it comes in and comes in and comes in, you just find yourself in a dark hole. And yeah. so with working, I think and that's when I was. I was also deepening in my relationship with God. So I was so busy with work, with church. He was working and still works overnight. So when I look back, you know, and I'm, I'm going to confess to you, I was going to read this book before coming 
for this interview, but I just, I still couldn't. Yeah. That's why I said it's all yeah. God. Like the way he brought to memory certain things that I had pretty much buried. Yeah. I don't know if I can really sit. I will still need his grace to read yeah. the book yeah. myself again. You know, so when I think about how did we even do it, like God had to have been watching over us. And like I said, even like the least of, I don't know about him, but the least of my worries at the time was my marriage. Like I honestly did not even like, I mean, yeah, I had a husband at home. It's like, there's just so much going on. I yeah. go to work, I come back, I have this kid I have to take care of. You know, we keep turning, it shifts between us. Home health, it has to be restructured. You can't depend on that. So it was me and him. You know, he'll get off work. He doesn't go to sleep. He'll stay up taking care of the kid, you know, and then I come home. Jesse works at school. Keep that in mind. We had to help him with homework. You know, he had his own mini activities that he had to do. And so it was so much like, yeah, I just, my, my escape, like God, that's why it, it, when anybody says anything about the God I serve, it almost like makes me ugh, get very, it's like a, it's like a sensitive yeah. spot for me because I know what I went through and yeah. I know that without him, it was all God. I cannot take, it's not like, oh, Karen was so brave. You know, it is in our weakness that, you know, his strength comes upon us and I was broken, you know, and I would be so down that I would pick up my Bible and read and then energy is going to come back up. I will feel strength. I would, you know, listen to a sermon and my, you know, I'm up it again. Yeah. So I knew that not even my family, nobody, I could not find peace anywhere else, you know, but in God. Yeah. So, and he helped my marriage really. Like yeah. you said, I've seen he statistics the out there, you know. Yeah, they said the number one, like I, I read something about the statistics of divorced parents. I can't remember the exact, but losing a child yeah. was one of them, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. And so I would say we were graciously helped by God. That's it. Yeah, that's, 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 that's really very powerful, you know, because. It's like, I still marvel at your story. Sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm just speechless, you know, because I'm not even trying to put myself in your shoes because I would never, ever, ever wish for that. And I would never, ever understand, you know, again, when I look at my own life, I have one child, one, one eye child <laughs> who is healthy, thank God. And I've been struggling. I have been like, I remember I was having a conversation with one of my girlfriends one time and I was just saying I was just praying to God like I'm at the verge of a mental breakdown like I, I cannot handle an one bad news like if I, I don't even I don't even know how I would handle an additional bad news or anything because every day I wake up it's like I'm so sleep deprived I'm so stressed I don't even know how people have multiple kids and how they do it but then again it all boils down to God God right God's grace as a believer I believe you know God is the ultimate, the ultimate help. You know, sometimes you don't even understand how you do certain things, but as long as you have God, it's like, it gets done. And, you know, one thing that really touched me was like all through, I mean, I knew about baby Nasir, but I honestly did not know about like the timing. I did not know about baby Eliana. I didn't even know any, like when I was reading your book, I was like, oh yeah, I mean, I'm like very good friends with your sister, right? With Joyce. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, I know a lot of this. But when I read the book, I was like, whoa, like I had no clue that you were going through that. But 
on social media, you were such a radical for Christ. You still are, actually, you know. And what was really admirable was that you were so strong and open about your faith publicly, not letting people really know, not that you did it intentionally per se, but like a lot of people saw your strength and your, you know, your advocacy for Christ publicly without really knowing what you were going through privately, you know, and I really want to thank you for showing that strength and also telling your story at God's timing and at your own timing as well. So Victor, back to you. (laughs) So how, like, how did you manage all of that emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and even physically? Well, I mean, for both of us, I think what really helped us was the fact that we never talked about it. Hmm. Yes, we never talked about it. To each other? Yeah, yes. You know, that's, that's never- interesting because <laughs> sometimes actually it could turn out the other way, <laughs> you know? Sometimes it could just be like this thing that you're keeping inside and then one day it blows up and it's like, whoa, you know. We've never talked about it. <laughs> never. We've never sat down to have a conversation between ourselves to say, okay, why did this happen to us? Yeah. And not somebody else. We, we are. We've, we've never, never really talked about it. But dealing with it, like she said, you find something that keeps you busy. So she went to work which I also went to work. And then the other thing which I did was I found a hobby that I enjoyed so much, which is gardening. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) I threw threw myself into gardening to the point where I would come home from work. As soon as I pulled the car in the garage, if Jesse did not have to go to school, once I pulled the car in the garage, the first thing I do is I go to the garden before I even walk into the house. And I tell people, I tell people all the time, I said, if you're going through stuff and you need something to help you out, put your hand in the dirt. Hmm. Just put your hand in the ground, put a seed in the ground and watch and nurture that seed grow. It will do amazing things to your psyche. Yeah. Wow. Thank you very much for that advice. <laughs> I, I, I can definitely testify. I've, I've tasted some of your peppers. So <laughs> I got them from Karine. So that's very true. Yeah, the gardening definitely helped more than you. It helped some of us too. So thank you so much for that. You know, there's a portion of the book, again, that I really want to read. And I, I, I hope that this is kind of like a message to someone going through something and something that you wrote, Karine, you said, you can take charge of your atmosphere and be the thermostat, not the thermometer. I've also learned that circumstances may not be favorable around you, but it's how you respond to those situations that will determine whether you sink or float. Enough said, actually. (laughs) I just wanted to, to add that to our conversation because... That's definitely a reminder that I needed when I was reading. I actually Mm -hmm. underlined it. And I feel like it's a reminder that someone will need, you know, even though it's kind of hard as well, you know, especially in that kind of situation. And then you spoke about, you had the phrase bury. I, I don't know in what, I mean, you were just talking and you said bury. And that stood out to me because you were talking about dealing with grief in the book and how you kept going to Nasia's grave, right? And I feel like every African 
or at least every African mother, you know, we were, you know, it reminded me of a conversation that I've had with my parents or at least with a few people, how, you know, in our culture, we, we tend to nurture the dead. Not that is a bad thing, but it's just, we have that guilt, right? That, oh my God, if I don't, if I don't keep going, you know, it would look like I just abandoned them and stuff like that. And this was when I really had a different perspective about, you know, what you wrote and what you experienced and why you decided to stop going to Nasia's grave. I mean, I also underlined that, but I, I don't really want to read that out. But I think you had mentioned First Thessalonians 4 verse 13, so people can, can reference that. I just wanted to add that that actually stood out to me because... You know, I've always had this guilt, like, okay, what if my mom or dad passes? Like, where do we bury them? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to let go. I don't want to, I want to keep them close and stuff like that. I mean, I've always had like this back and forth with my mom, like, maybe we should just cremate and put in the house so that we have, (laughs) you know, I mean, I honestly don't mind. And I told him like, if I pass, just cremate me. Like, it's not like I don't want to be, I I just don't don't spend money. You know how we go all lavish and stuff like that. And that's another thing, giving honorary burials, which is not bad, but some people get in debt to bury the dead. Like it Mm -hmm. just doesn't make sense to me, you know, you know, so, but you know, yeah, I've gone to those extremes. Like I want to cremate you and just put you in a shrine, like create a shrine Mm -hmm. or something and just, you know, just have you there and, you know, but letting go to kind of helps, you know, and it helps our mind, our psyche. And it's also something that like you had stated in the Bible that encouraged us to, you know, let those people rest in glory and, you know, focus on the life that we have. You know, I don't know if there's anything additional that you want to add to that, which will also help people who are grieving. Um, Like you said, once they read the book, hopefully they'll get the full picture of it. But what I would, I don't know if I'm trying to buttress a point or really add to it, but I'm saying it from one who did all that stuff. So I once was in that position as well with that mindset because of culture, you know, how I was raised and what I saw, you know, and even coming to the U.S. as well, you know, the, the funeral homes, if now we're talking, I just even realized they stopped sending that out, maybe because we just have stopped going there. But Memorial Day and all these things, they'll send stuff out like, you know, like a reminder, I guess. So you yeah. often see people, you know, going to do stuff like that. And I'm not, like I said, everybody, people are at different stages of grief. So I respect where everybody's at. But what I tell people is you can't, don't be careful about being stuck. Don't let the enemy leave you somewhere for so many years. You should not mourn for so long. Okay. And I feel like doing stuff like that, at least for me, I thought every time I went there, there was not a day I did not shed a tear. I mean, I'm telling you every single day, whether it's on my way back from work or my way to work. Or, and like you're saying, that guilt, it's like, oh, my gosh, I've left this poor baby alone. You know, I haven't visited her today and stuff like that. And that one day that I explained in the book, it was it was almost like it wasn't an audible voice, but I could hear it from within. Like it was so strong and it was a conversation that was back and forth with the Holy Spirit, like, why are you doing this? Why are you putting yourself through this? 
do you know where is she? And all these questions. And I'm like, Lord, she's with you. So why, why the torture, you know? Yeah. And I believe if I did not have that moment, I still probably would have been doing that, you know? So I had that encounter. And so it doesn't even matter. It was a personal encounter. And so even if somebody tries to convince me, I just can't. And I don't even feel, I don't feel bad. It's been like, I don't even know the last time for all I cared, grass or whatever I should have cried. Of course, the people clean it. I'm just saying all those flowers and all those things. Mm -hmm. I don't, yeah, it's just, she's in heaven. Yeah. In heaven. Yeah. So there's no need. Yeah. Sometimes we get trapped into doing things that we just see people doing. Yeah. And, you know, we're out of tradition. Okay, why are you doing it? Have we even taken a step back to really ask yourself this thing I'm doing? I mean, everything. Why am I doing it? What's the right. rationale behind doing it? You know, and then maybe at that point, you really see that, hey, doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, when I look at, well, I really haven't, you know, lost anyone who is really close mm -hmm. to me. So I can't really speak a lot on that. But if I'm even speaking on anything, it's going to be more about what I've seen people doing. And like you said, like what people, you know, expect you to do or what you just what the society determines that should be done, you know. But I mean, this is probably going to be a sensitive question, but like, will you ever or this is to both of you, by the way, will you ever think there will be a need to ever go there again or maybe not necessarily as frequently? For me, I'd say no, because if I haven't been there in six plus years, I really don't see a need unless, and this is, of course, it's never going to happen. The funeral home calls and says, hey, you guys, we're going to build or whatever. You need to come take remains and they start calling families to come, you know. But then is that saying, if somebody, let's say, um, like my parents had come at the time, stuff was still fresh in my memory. And yeah. I'm still dealing with a lot. Mm -hmm. So when people would come and visit, they want to see where they were yeah. buried. And Victor would always go yeah. because I just did not want to be around there. Mm -hmm. um, but let's say in the future, if somebody comes and wants me to do it now, would I do it? I probably would, you know, just to mm -hmm. say, hey, this is this is the spot, you know, mm -hmm. if they want to see the the tombstone the stone, yeah. or anything like that. I'll, I'll do it just because, you know, maybe they were gone for 10 years, they haven't seen it and they want to, you know, go see it. But if somebody lives around me and feels like, okay, these kids were so dear to me and maybe they want to stop, you know where, I mean, they gave us a map, you know where it's at. If you want to be going there every day or once a week or whatever, knock yourself out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah. All right. Thank you for sharing that. Now, let's, you know, talk about baby Eliana, you know, because she went through the same thing that, you know, baby Nasia went through. Victor, this question is directed at you. <laughs> so when you when you got that answer from God, right, like you said, how like what was going through your mind after that? Like, how did you take everything that happened again? You know, because I would imagine at this point you were past the stage of being numb. And I mean, how worse can it get? Right. So like, how did you handle that internally? I know you guys did not really talk about it, but like what was really going through your mind? Not much. Because at that point, at that point, Eliana was just <laughs> like 
a normal kid to me. She was just like every other child. She pretty much was like Jesse in our eyes because she had a way of communicating. She couldn't speak, Mm -hmm. but she had a way of communicating. I would take it to every doctor's appointment. Like I would have taken, like I would have been taking Jesse. And so, and unlike Nasia, she was home with us, you know? So when I finally, when I finally was able to get that revelation from God, that this is not about you, you need to stop blaming yourself. Mm -hmm. Then I started looking at her like, like I'd been looking at Jesse. She was just a normal kid that needed to be clothed, needed to have a bath, needed to eat, needed to be treated like a child. And so at that point in time, that is all I did. I gave her all the love that she needed and she responded back in kind fashion. She had a way of telling us that, hey, you people are neglecting me. I need some hmm. TLC and we did give that to her. So yeah, so from that point moving onward, Eliana was just a baby girl. Yeah. You know, and 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 she she was I I, I believe both of us, you know, and everybody who came here, everybody who came to the house because she spent most of the time in the bedroom. But everybody who came to the house knew that Jesse was not an only child in the house because we all, even though she pretty much was not, she was, she was out of sight most of the time. Mm-hmm. But we made everybody understand that we had Jesse and Eliana. So she was just a normal kid to me at that time. Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing that. Karen, I know you also elaborated, you know, a lot of your feelings in the book and you know, your, just your own experiences, you know, and one thing that actually stood out to me was, you know, when you, I think when she was getting, her health was like getting worse and you, you know, you were begging God to, you know, to take her and, you know, because you didn't want her to leave like that, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> sorry, it's kind of funny because it's not funny actually, but it's, it, it was, it was a bit coincidental because, that's actually like what my mom was saying when my brother was born, you know, and it just made me sympathize with, you know, mothers who are going through that because it's like, you know, you feel like you want to help the child, but you're helpless, you know, there's nothing you can really do about it. And, you know, to see a child who doesn't deserve that kind of life, you know, keep fighting and struggling. It kind of hits home for me to, you know, with respect to my mom and, you know, my brother, his prognosis was that he wasn't even going to make it past five years or so, but he's like 30 years now, you know, even though it's extremely difficult to take care of him right now, you know, because he's, he's really big and he's heavy and my, my parents are, are getting old. I'm not trying to cry. Sorry. Um, you know, um, I kind of sympathize with you on that because I may never know how that felt, you know, but as a sibling, I can definitely sympathize with you because it's not easy. It's not easy at all, you know, and to know that she, she eventually passed, even though it was, you know, for the better of her life because nobody really wanted her to live like that and nobody really wants to see her you know suffer like that you know but at the end of the day it's so sad you still lost a child you know Mm -hmm. and the pain is 
no different than losing a healthy child, probably even worse because the child really never had a chance, you know, to live a healthy life. You know, it must have really been very, very challenging. And to see that both of you actually weathered the storm, you know, it, 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 it just gives me hope. You know, it gives, it hopefully should give every other couple out there struggling with maybe a sick child or, you know, the loss of a child, hope as well. You know, so thank you so much for sharing that. That was really hard. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you know, both of you, your story reminds me of the story of Job, you know, losing everything, but still acknowledging that, you know, God is his redeemer, you know, and, and that God is still there for him, regardless of what every other person was saying and putting things into his ear, you know, and that actually brings me to a different experience that you guys may have faced. And that is people talking, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I just had to like transition like that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I mean, I know you wrote about that, Karine, and I, I definitely would imagine people talking. If my parents had to listen to people talking, my brother would not have been alive today because one person actually, at that time, my parents were very, very, very desperate for a solution. They were Christians, but they were just desperate for anything that could help. And someone recommended them to this traditional doctor who said my brother was, was a witch or wizard and recommended to put him by the side of some river. And he was going to turn into a snake and go away. If my parents actually listened to him, my brother would not have been alive today. And I know so many people spoke into your ears, not necessarily telling you what to do, but well, not necessarily telling you where the problem was, or maybe they did, but people were probably telling you what to do, what not to do, or why mm. you're doing it this way, or what this and that. You know, how is, can, can you just say, let's, let's try to be raw a little bit. Can you just yeah. say a few things that certain people said, just to give the audience a perspective on what, you know, people go through. I'm trying to get people to be more sensitive to, you know, when asking questions. Can you just tell us a few random things that people said and also how you just handled the whole situation of like people talking and things like that? Personally, there were a few things that I heard that people said. Very few said it to my face, you know, like when Eliana passed, one of them said that that wasn't that baby. Let her go to wherever she came from. My God. This was somebody that I carried in my womb. So, yeah, and then others said... I had, maybe I had done this or that in my past. And I'm like, what past? Or I had to go, I don't know, to which village. Like, I mean, it's just, and you know, our African community, you know, somebody had actually made a statement that if you don't, they said it in Pigeon, say, if you never, if you never touch bitter leaf, your hands, then no go bitter, something like that. You know, which in other words, is trying to say whatever I was dealing with, my hand is in it. Hmm. You know, so and even if people I know stuff was said amongst others and, you know, but I think I, I made my life in such a way that my attitude was almost like back off. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, 
a lot of people, and I did that on purpose because I did not even want people to approach me yeah. on that issue. Some of the things that people not necessarily said, but suggested it was in good faith. You know, people are they're looking for help for you. You know, I didn't take offense at it, but if I hadn't been, and this is with Eliana at that point, keep in mind, my faith was growing steadily, yeah. you know, and I had some people had approached me to take her to all kinds of prophets yeah. or, and this nothing against prophets. I'm yeah. not saying, you know, but I'm just saying into to some to some prophets or some areas where my I know my spirit did not even I can you know the spirit bears witness my spirit did not there wasn't a pull you yeah. know to go there even if I could but I of course out of politeness I, you know I had to be very diplomatic on how you know thank you we'll work on it you mm-hmm. know but I knew for a fact that I wasn't gonna go anywhere but some of the things were very very hurtful yeah and you know i'm glad you're doing this you know i don't know if we're gonna get to that but like you're saying our community needs to do better to be sensitive to people who are dealing with issues and when i say issues whether my kind of issues that i've gone through people who you know whether divorcees or people taking care of special need kids special needs kids just you don't have to Everything, you don't have to say everything that comes to your mind. Yeah. You know, especially when the person is around, just be sensitive. We're not saying walk, walk on eggshells, but just, I mean, don't, don't be walking around somebody who's trying to have a baby and say, go born your own or, I mean, it's, it's just, it's too much. You know, I don't know if we're going to address, I don't want to jump yeah. ahead. No, I no, can no. Address it that's, that's, that's fine. We can address it at any time because it's yeah. very important. So, or things like you see somebody who's single and even if they're 50 years old, you start saying, and they don't even say it in a nice way. You know, sometimes somebody can call you and say, yeah, where my sister, you know, what's going on? Maybe I've been praying for you. Is this man? But you see some who say, what are you waiting for? You know, go go married or some kind of things like that. Can people marry themselves? You right. know, do you, I mean, I, there are some people who choose to never get married, but there are others who sincerely, they really want to get married, yeah. but there's nobody yet, you know, or I'm trusting God for the fruit of the womb and you keep throwing shades around me and, you know, oh, we've been married X number of years. Don't even ask me any questions. If you're praying for me, Pray for me in your closet, in the privacy of your home. Yeah. Don't come and be touching my stomach. Yeah. You don't know whether the day you're touching my stomach was the day I had a miscarriage. Right. People need right. to stop. They yeah. need to stop. That's true. People deal with so much. This is an issue that touches me to the core. Yeah. There's so many hurting women out there. And I don't, you just, there's so many hurting women. You don't know the ones that are on IVF. Yeah. They want babies so badly. Yeah. 
That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.